Uh, thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, this is our last outdoor service uh, today. Thank you for whether you enjoyed every minute of this or you hated every minute of being outside. Uh, thank you either way. Uh, we, for the month, for the four Sundays in September, we're going to move inside as things start to get a little chilly. I know it feels really nice right now, but we actually were out here uh, on this field in, uh, during COVID in uh, 2020. And I, there was one Sunday in September where I think it was 38 in the morning. And so we're going to try and avoid that uh, for our church during the four uh, Sundays of September. And then, uh, Lord willing, uh, our uh, new expanded worship center should be done. Our expanded lobby should be done. Our expanded parking lot should be done. And then, Lord willing, we're moving back into our building on October 1st. Uh, so please be praying for that. Uh, we'll have four more Sundays here and then back in our building, which is going to be amazing. Also, as we jump into the fall, uh, we are getting very, very excited uh, for the launch of our house groups. Now, house groups are our groups of about 30 or 40 people that meet together every week for Christian community. And honestly, they're kind of the bread and butter of our church. It's the most unique thing about our church. If you're kind of like, what are they? I hear you guys talking about it all the time. I encourage you, even this week, get on our website. You can read a ton about it. You can see videos about it. We'd love to even start learning about it. And then signups for our house groups are going to start in uh, a, a number of weeks. So September 24th, we're starting house group signups uh, this year. And we're going to be launching three uh, brand new house groups which is going to bring us to 20 house groups. Isn't that unreal? <laughs> That's just so crazy to me. Uh, but signups are starting September 24th, and we're actually delaying the start, the start of signups and house groups by two weeks uh, this year. And we're doing that intentionally because we know that a lot of people are going to come back when we move into the building on October 1st, and many people will come for the first time on October 1st, and we want them to have an opportunity to sign up and get in Christian community uh, this year. So that's all That's all coming up, and we are uh, super excited about that. All right, let's get into our message. Uh, we are in the second to last week in our study of the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. And I just want to say we have seen some amazing prophecies this year from Zechariah, have we not? Actually, my biggest prayer for you as you have been reading and studying Zechariah this summer, is that it has, because of the amazing amount of prophecies, that it has built up your faith in this book as God's word. In fact, because this is our second to last week, I want to just take a minute. Can we just review some of the amazing things we've seen in this book? So we saw God, through Zechariah the prophet, correctly predict that when the Messiah came, that he would snatch us from the fire. Right, and that he would take away our sin. He correctly predicted that the Messiah would be a branch to the Gentiles, which he was. He correctly prophesied that the Messiah would be a king and a priest. Uh, he correctly predicted that the Messiah, when he came, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he did. He said that the Messiah would be sold off for 30 pieces of silver, and that happened. He said that the Messiah would be actually God, and that he would be pierced for us, and that all happened, right? That's just incredible. And today, we're going to see another prophecy from Zechariah that's quoted in the New Testament. This time is actually quoted by Jesus Christ himself. And this is going to be a prophecy about persecution, uh, which is a topic that I think is at least starting to enter into the back of our minds here in America. What would it look like if things got worse for us as 
Christians? Uh, What will God do in the midst of persecution? And I think there's some really important lessons for us in this chapter about persecution and about suffering. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab a Bible. We're going to be on Zechariah chapter 13. I see many of you brought Bibles. That's great. If you if you grab one from the tent back there, we're on page 652. Uh, if you're using our app, uh, you just open to summer services and uh, weekly verses. So uh, Zechariah chapter 13, we're going to skip over the first six verses. They're kind of in the same vein as uh, chapter 12 was last week, where it's talking about this revival that's going to happen amongst the Jews in the future. And then things turn a little bit in verse 7, which is where we're going to start today. He's going to point first to the first coming of Christ and then beyond to the second coming of Christ. So you're going to find the big uh, number 13 and then the small number 7, and that's uh, Zechariah 13:7. You ready? Okay, just three verses today. It says this, Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Okay, so let's start with verse 7. So if you look at verse 7, here God is talking about when Jesus is going to first come to earth. And we actually know this because if you turn to the New Testament and you would see in Matthew chapter 26, so right after Jesus's last supper, we're on their way uh, walking to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus warns the disciples that they're going to fall away because of what would happen to him. And then really cool, Jesus actually quotes our verse from today. Jesus Christ quotes Zechariah 13, 7. And he says, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that is indeed exactly what happened, right? Jesus is arrested, he's whipped, he's crucified. And the disciples, the sheep, what do they do? They scatter, they run away. Now, before we move on to verse eight, I want you to see the gospel in verse seven, because by the way, hasn't the book of Zechariah been so rich of the gospel That's one of the things I love about teaching through the Old Testament is you can see the good news of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. But let's look at verse seven closely. I want you to put your eyes on it, okay? This is God's word. It starts, it says, awake sword. What's the sword? Now, the sword in scripture and even just in literature usually is the sword of of judgment, right? It's the sword of, of death. And so it's God the Father that's calling forth the sword here, okay? And he tells the sword to strike whom? He says, strike the shepherd. Well, who's the shepherd? If you were here two weeks ago, we talked in depth about the shepherd. Remember, Zechariah, God had Zechariah even go get a job as a shepherd so he could kind of dramatically play act what things were going to be like for the true shepherd when he came, who is Jesus Christ. And so God says, sword, go against the man who is close to me. That's kind of a curious Hebrew phrase, but it it essentially means what it says, that the man who is close to me, by close to me, it means close in like, Uh, equality, like he's my peer, he's like my equal. Well, who is that for God the Father? Well, it's God the Son, it's Jesus Christ. So this is amazing. This is like 500 some years before it happened, we see the gospel. It's saying God the Father will allow his son, the shepherd, to be struck with the sword of judgment for us. That's the gospel. That's amazing. Okay, now, much like last week, we're kind of looking at 
uh, two prophecies at once. So there's a little bit at the first coming of Christ, which has already happened, right, 2,000 years ago. And there's a little bit in verses 8 and 9 about the second coming of Christ, what will happen in the end of days. And we can certainly take note on what will happen in the end times. I mean, that's helpful to know. I mean, especially if it happens in our lifetime, I kind of want to know how it's going to go down, right? But we also can look at a pattern here. Just this last week, we studied the anatomy of an awakening, right? Now we're going to look at what I think is in a, a pattern of persecution. So it starts with a shepherd being struck, okay? And everyone is afraid. And why are they afraid? Well, if you go to the times of Jesus, the disciples are afraid because they don't want to suffer, right? They, especially they don't want physical harm to come to themselves. And I think they're afraid because they're so confused. They just, they just didn't think this was going to happen. Even though Jesus warned them a ton of times it was going to happen, the disciples were living under this false theology that said the son of God is not going to suffer because he's the son of God. Like, how could the son of God suffer? And perhaps maybe underneath that false theology was this idea that because I am a follower, because I am walking with the son of God, how could I suffer? But their worldview was wrong. And when their beliefs get shattered, they scatter and they've run. Okay, and this is why it's so, 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 so important that we have a good theology of suffering as Christians. You, there's a lot of things that are really kind of um, countercultural, counterintuitive about our, our church. And I think one of them is that we actually teach here on suffering a lot, even though you won't hear that at a lot of churches. And I do so in part because I think the American church's theology of suffering is incredibly weak and at times even heretical. Personally, I think that maybe the biggest heresy in the American church right now, and when I say American church, I just mean churches at large in America. I think one of the biggest heresies in the American church is a belief that goes something like this, where people say, God has such great blessing in store for you, and God has got something good for you right around the corner. And I just say, my friend, God might take your very life tomorrow. Right? And if he did, it would be for his glory and he would use it for his good. But hear me, American Christians, God's main aim is not to just give you a more and more blessed life where you just keep getting more and more happy through promotions and your family and all of your life circumstances continuing to work out because you're a follower of God. You know what that is? That's just a new version of the prosperity gospel heresy. And see, if you believe this theology that your life is going to go better and your circumstances are going to go better because you're walking with the son of God, if you believe that, what will happen is then like the disciples, when life gets hard, you're gonna scatter. And we see this in history, we see this in scripture. When persecution gets hard, the church gets thinned and the wheat gets separated from the chaff, and the real believers get separated from the fake believers. Let me just give you a scenario on how this may happen in the American church. Now, I don't know if this will happen, maybe this won't happen at all, but it's at least a possible scenario. Okay, what if in the next five to 10 years, the devil so maligns Christianity in this country that non-Christians feel like if they were even to be seen in church, that they would be associated with bigots. Okay, well, what if that happened? Well, if that happened, then anyone who's truly not in Christ is absolutely gonna flee the church, right? 
There's no way that they would be seen in church. And so what will happen then through that persecution is the church would be thinned, okay? Now, we see that actually in our passage. So if you, if you see it in the scriptures in verse eight, it's talking about the one third and the two thirds. And what it's saying is that there's, what we see if we go back to chapter 12, there's this great revival amongst the Jews and he's still talking about the Jews and he's saying there's going to be a thinning. So two thirds of them, they're gonna die and they're gonna perish. And what that means is they're gonna be struck down by the plagues that you can read about in the book of Revelation. And if you read about it, it's, it's insane, right? It's intense. And it says that they're not only gonna die, they're gonna perish. Now, when you see that word perish, you know, like even in John three sixteen, they shall not perish. It's not just talking about death. It's talking about separation from God for eternity. So for the two thirds of the Jews in the end, the suffering was just too much. And so they didn't become followers of Christ. But there's a remnant, right? What about the one third? I said this one third of the, I mean, this is an amazing revival. A one third of them are holding on, even in the midst of intense persecution, they're holding on to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, how do you think that God should treat that remnant, the one third? What should he do with their circumstances? What should he do for them? those that are trusting God, even in the midst of really hard times. I think many of us would answer that question. We say, well, he should bless them, right? He should protect them. He should, he should make sure they have a joyous and comfortable and victorious life. Like so many of the popular Christian songs I hear on the radio seem to say, like he's gonna see your victory and he's gonna win you another battle and he's gonna slay your giants and God's gonna do all that stuff for you, right? But what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? Look at Look at verse nine. He says, this third, that's the remnant. That's the people that held on to faith. What's he gonna do with them? I will put into the fire. I'm sorry, what? I will put into the fire. That's the fire of suffering. That's the fire of trial. Huh? And I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. I, I need to say something very important to you, and I need to tell you this is incredibly biblical, but this is incredibly difficult for our American culture to hear. Sometimes God actually wills for you to suffer. And often that will come even in the form of persecution. And if you do not understand that biblical truth, then when the shepherd gets struck and when the sheep gets struck, you will absolutely scatter if you don't believe that. You know, I think we're seeing even glimmers of this in America right now. You know, there's a big movement of people who are walking away from their faith. They, they're doing what we would call deconstructing their faith. And I believe that's happening in part, not completely, but in part, because many people have grown up in sort of these shallow churches that sort of falsely told them that if they just followed God and they followed his principles, then things were going to work out for them. God would be with them, he loves them, and he's gonna bless them, right? And so what happens then when life happens? and they struggle, or they get sick, or a relationship completely falls apart. People are saying, a loving God would never do that to me. A loving God would never let me suffer like that. And so tragically, they're, they're walking away 
from their Christian faith. My friends, this is why we need to teach people the Bible again and stop just giving TED Talks in our churches and in our youth groups and on social media. What does the Bible, what does the word of God say? God says through Zechariah, he's going to use suffering. He's going to use persecution as a refiner's fire. Now, if this teaching is new to you, I want to encourage you, if you're looking for some place to read this week, open the Bible uh, this week, tonight, tomorrow morning to 1 Peter. Just read the, the book of 1 Peter this week. He talks about this several times. In fact, I want to show you a passage right now in 1 Peter chapter 4. You can turn there if you have a Bible or you can look at it with your app if you would like. We're going to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 19. Uh, Peter is a man who uh, suffered much for Jesus Christ. In fact, he eventually was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says this. It says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will. I'm sorry, what did I say? Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, let me parse through this because I think we just don't talk about this. We only say, God loves you, he wants to bless you, he wants to give you a great life. The Bible says that God might actually bring suffering into your life. Let me tell you two, just parse this out, two ways that that might, be, might happen in your life. We see two good examples of this in scripture. Number one, sometimes we would say theologically that the Lord allows, that he permits suffering to happen. Now, the story of Job would be a good example of this, okay? The devil comes to the Lord and says that he basically wants to mess with Job's life and the Lord allows it, he permits it, but then in his sovereignty, he still uses it for good. Now, a second example would be the story of Joseph. In the story of Joseph, God himself actually brings intentionally the hard times into the life of Joseph. So if you read, it's one of the great stories of the Bible, Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph is sold into slavery. I mean, mean, could you even imagine? That alone is more than most of us have ever experienced. He's sold into slavery, he's slavery, he's taken to Egypt, and then he's, on top of that, he's wrongfully in prison. Now, I feel like if you took the story of Joseph and you just had a random American, a non-Christian begin reading the story, I think they would get to that part where by the time he's thrown wrongfully in prison, I think they would just stop and say, I don't even understand your God. A loving God would never do that because that's all we teach about God in America anymore. We just say he is love, God is, lo- God is more than love, okay? God is so many things. He would stop and say, God is love. But what is God doing? When we're accusing God in America for making the wrong move playing checkers, in reality, our God is playing 4D chess, okay? And so God uses prison to humble Joseph. You read the story of Joseph? He comes in a little hot as a teenager, a little prideful, right? He humbles Joseph in prison. He uses it to develop Joseph in prison. He uses it for Joseph to make connections in order that he could eventually get to Pharaoh, in order that he could eventually basically get control over all of Egypt so that he could save millions of lives through the famine, including the future line of Jesus Christ. But see, the blessing for Joseph was through prison, not around it. Prison was the refiner's fire. Because what does the word say? It says that, Zechariah says it right here, that God will refine your faith like silver and test it like gold. What is that? Now, if it was 1849, I think we would all know how gold was refined, but it's not, okay? So I'm assuming that you don't know, so let me walk you through it, okay? Now, let's say uh, you discover gold in your backyard. You're out, you're you're digging in your yard. You called, uh, what is the number you call before you dig? 
This is really bad. I don't know. <laughs> I would Google it before I dug, okay? You, you go, someone tell me after the service. You go and you dig and you discover gold in your backyard, okay? Uh, first of all, uh, think of the Illuminate Fund. That would be important. Uh, you discover gold and you find, if you find any sort of gold, you're going to find that there are impurities in it, right? It's not 100% pure gold. And so you would want to get the impurities out. And so what you would do is you'd bring it to a professional and they would essentially put it in what we would call the refiner's fire. So what happens is when your gold is placed in the fire, the impurities in the gold, they actually start to rise up out of the gold, and then the goldsmith can come in and just skim the impurities off the top. Now, Zechariah is using that metaphor because God does a very similar thing with your faith when it is tested. Okay, the refiner's fire, it causes the impurities of your faith to rise up to the surface. Because until we're actually tested as Christians, we can say that we trust and we believe in Jesus, but there are just some things that we trust and value more. I'm just being straight up honest. There just are. Right? For some of us, it's our status. Uh, it's our career. For others of you, it's how you look. For some of us, it's uh, our reputation, what people will think of us. Uh, for others of you, it's your family. It's your kids. It's how your kids are superior to everyone else's kids. I'm just preaching the truth this morning, okay? But what if, what if your faith in Jesus is the very thing that causes those things to fall apart? What if your faith in Jesus is the thing three years from now that actually causes you to have to lose your job that was your identity? What if your faith in Jesus becomes the thing that actually begins to divide your family apart? And before your family was your identity. See, persecution and trials and suffering, they end up being this refiner's fire because it's when we suffer. It's when we lose our job. It's when sickness comes, right? It's when trials come. It's when our family starts falling apart that finally in our faith, we actually, maybe for the first time, we just drop to our knees. You ever been here? And you just say, Lord, I just, I just can't. I just can't, I have no idea what's gonna happen with my career. Lord, I just, I give you my families. I can't do this. Lord, I just, I don't even know what's gonna happen. Lord Jesus, just please, I can't. Okay, what is that? What is that when you get there and you're legitimately on your knees? What's happening? The impurities of your faith, I would call them the idolatries of your faith are actually rising up. You're saying, I just can't, I don't know. I just need you. They're rising up to the top and the Lord comes in and he's just skimming them out. And what is he doing? Is he's taking your faith and he's turning it into gold. Now, let me ask you, would a loving God do that? You bet he would. You bet he would. Because what does verse nine say after the refinement? It says, then they will call on my name. See, because it's on our knees that we will finally call on our true God and say, I just need you, Lord, I need you. And then it says, and I will answer them. I will answer them. Because it is there on our knees in the fire that we meet our God. I mean, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter three. It's in the fire that we will look and we will see there's another with us in the fire and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be in the fire. 
And so I just, I'm telling you right now, as a teacher of the word of God, if suffering should come into your life, if persecution should come to our nation, you know that God has a plan for this. God has a pattern for this. He is not crushing us as a people. He is refining us as a people. And don't you believe for a second those false teachers out there who claim that God only works through goodness and blessing and prosperity. Listen to me, God's best work ever was through suffering on an old wooden cross where God allowed his own son to endure the fire of persecution. And yet out of that, out of the death of the son of God, the greatest of good, the greatest of good, has come. And so when it comes, when the fire comes, when persecution comes, when hard times come, my friend, you trust in Jesus Christ. You trust in Jesus because he is good. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we pray. I just, God, I just pray for anyone here who's in that phase right now. They are on their knees. Lord, would you just raise up the impurities out of their faith? raise up the idolatry, skim them out. Would they come out of this, God, with a purer faith, with a faith like gold, shining brightly for you? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the good times. And Jesus Christ, we thank you for the fire and give us grace to endure it and grace to grow in it. It's in your name we pray, amen.